on that great question of vital concern to every one of us, what do we know about the limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible, we have seen that when we as sinners truly repent of all sin and seek the face of God in humble confession, something real and glorious takes place in our lives. By our response to the pleadings of the Holy Spirit, the last obstacle to the manifestation of God's pardoning mercy has been removed. It is we ourselves that limit God's mercy. Shall the Godhead be denied this joy of our salvation when purchased at so dear a price? It was this joy that was set before him that enabled Jesus to endure the cross, despising the shame. Now, in final triumph, he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews 12:2. God is far more anxious to pour forth his abounding storehouses of mercy than man ever is to repent. The least really sincere response from man removes the great limitation and enables God to do what he always wanted to do. Jesus said amidst his discouraging reception, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Luke 14:15. He himself was this living spiritual bread which came down from heaven. The bread, said he, is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. John 6:51. Thus by parable he spoke forth God's great invitation of mercy in advance of its accomplishment. Come, he said, for all things are now ready, as we read in Luke 14:17. How can men keep themselves from coming to a God like the Bible sets forth? Alas, most folk are tragically successful. Men generally are as unaware of the austere dignity and deity of the Lord Jesus Christ as the leaders of Christ's day were. For had they known it, we read, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. 1 Corinthians 2.8 As humble and unworthy ambassadors for Christ, we can just be a voice speaking forth the glad tidings. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 But as our fourth major consideration under this question, we affirm that the rebelliousness of true Christians can impose a limitation upon the continued exercise of God's loving kindness and tender mercy toward them. Let us remember that God is not only the source of all life in the universe, but is also the source of all true love in the universe. It is natural for God to bless his creatures. Man was created to have an intelligent association and a happy fellowship with God. The prophet Isaiah so long ago spoke God's purposes and affections concerning man in these words, I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him, in his 43rd chapter, verse 7. But there is no escape from the fact that unless man maintains an appropriate attitude toward God, God is limited in the blessings which he can bestow upon man. It will always be true that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble, as in James 4, 6. Therefore, James continues to admonish his brethren, Submit yourselves, therefore, unto God, 
And again, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Verses 7 and 8. A great many scriptures set forth this warning to true Christians. While the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of the true children of God grants to them the spiritual leadership and guidance to keep them in the pathway of humility, they nevertheless need to take heed continually that they be properly responsive to God's mercy and kindness. For example, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 15, we have this danger set forth. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation. Here then is the great condition of continuing to hear the blessed and happy and glorious voice of God within our souls. It is that we maintain a right attitude toward God and refuse to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So man not only holds the key to the initial manifestation of God's mercy, but to the continued manifestation of God's mercy. Any persistency in rebellion against the chastening measures of the Holy Spirit is in danger of causing a rupture in God's relationship of mercy toward us. This the scripture calls apostasy. Apostasy is simply a decision on the part of God that we have rebelled away our day of grace. It is to so resist the gracious kindness of God as God seeks to humble us in our proud hearts to bring us to true repentance that God's sense of justice is permanently offended. The tragedy is that in our rebellion we may not realize or be sure how seriously the Holy Spirit may be grieved over our present state, and thus we may be further along toward the state of apostasy than we may think. One thing is sure, if we walk humbly and reverentially before the great God, God will richly reward us in his merciful kindness. But let us read a few scriptures that set forth the seriousness of this situation. In the 32nd chapter of Exodus, we read about God's rightful indignancy with Israel over the golden calf rebellion. And there in verses 30 to 33, Moses is reasoning with God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. And now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And here is a positive declaration from God. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So we are in danger of hardening our hearts against the kind measures of God as the gracious God seeks to keep us in that state of humility. And if we will not respond to all his kind measures of chastening, which he lovingly bestows for our benefit, what more can God do?
in First Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9, God is admonishing Solomon. And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. So here is expressed a danger that the true children of God may forsake the gracious God. Isn't it pathetic that Solomon, who made such a wonderful beginning, seemed to have turned out so tragically toward the end of his life? In the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, verse 24, the prophet admonishes us from the Lord. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and doeth according to all the abominations of the wicked man doeth, shall he live? This is a good question. But the answer is, all his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned. In his trespass that he hath trespassed, and in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. And verse 26, when a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and dieth in them, for his iniquity that he hath done shall he die. And in the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel, verses 12 to 13, Therefore thou son of man, say unto the children of thy people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall thereby in the day that he turneth from his wickedness. Neither shall the righteous be able to live for his righteousness in that day that he sinneth. When I shall say to the righteous that he shall surely live if he trust to his own righteousness and commit iniquity, all his righteousnesses shall not be remembered, but for his iniquity that he hath committed, he shall die for it. What could be more expressive than these profound passages? That we have no right whatsoever to expect the continued mercy and kindness of God to our souls as true Christians in that day that we refuse to live with the great and loving and kind God and refuse His loving measures as God seeks to keep us from the uh, devastation of sin and to keep us in a happy relationship with himself. And so our Lord Jesus affirmed in the 15th chapter of John, verses 2 and 6, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. So the Spirit of God is busy to keep us in that wonderful state of submission that allows God to be bountifully kind and merciful and to shower forth his glorious blessings. But, in verse 6, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. So it's possible, by rebelling against the loving measures of God, that we shall bring God to that climax of having to reject us from the avenues of his gracious kindness. In Romans chapter 11, verses 20 to 22, we have this expression. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, 
Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, which uh, the apostle has reference to Israel as God's chosen vehicle to reach the world, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise thou also shall be cut off. What plainer assertion could we have than this passage, that it's possible to so offend the goodness and mercy and kindness of God that God will be obliged to withdraw his kindness and mercy. So mankind uh, restrains the mercy of God not only by his refusing to repent in the first place and humble himself before God, but by his refusal to remain in that state of submission and be receptive to the kind measures of the Holy Spirit. Isn't it wonderful that God in his gracious goodness wants to flood our souls with his abounding person? But the keys are in our hands. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we regard thee as a great, righteous, and loving God. How we respect thee for insisting that man shall not trifle with thy goodness and thy mercy. So we pray that many may repent of sin, look to Jesus by faith, find forgiveness and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.